you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Good morning, everyone. I just want to wish everybody a very blessed New Year 2024. And you'll have a unique opportunity at the end of the service to wish me if you want to. I'll wait for you outside. It's a new beginning. It's a fresh start. So how do we want the church to grow in 2024? How do we want our church to grow? So on that note, I was, as I was reflecting on that, I was taken to this passage in the book of Colossians, here's an uh, epistle written by Paul to the church in Colossae, and this is what he's saying. Come along with me as I read this. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so that is basically he's talking to the believers, and he says, so walk in him. In other words, submission to the Lordship. Walk in submission to the Lordship. Rooted and built up in him, It means, let your foundation be Christ and His Word. And then he says, and established in the faith. So in other words, may it be evidence in your life. And then he says, as you have been taught, abounding in it. It refers to growing in godliness. Growing in godliness with thanksgiving. So church, this captures the characteristics of an authentic church. Can everybody say the word authentic church? Authentic church. So we should aspire to possess these characteristics. So we plan to spend the next two months on studying the characteristics of an authentic church and see how we could aspire to become one. So here's what we have over the next eight Sundays. Uh, We'll be handling church and the word, followed by church and discipline, Church and missions, church and prayer, church and fellowship, church and worship, church and suffering, church and serving. Then starting in the month of March 2024, we are going to launch a new marathon. I'm using the word marathon because spanning for nearly two plus years, we'll be going through the book of Romans. It doesn't look like an exciting book. Praise God. We'll go through the book of Romans. That's a wonderful book to study, and we'll go through verse by verse throughout the book of Romans. I expect that to last more than two years. So this morning, we'll be looking at the church and the word, and I've given the title for today's message, Our Church to be Rooted in the Word. To be rooted in the Word. I want to start by making a statement. God's Word creates the church. God's Word creates creates the church, not the breakaway Christians. Usually what we see from one church, there's the breakaway Christians, they go and start another church. That is in fact not a church. Because it's God's word that creates the church. It creates a group of believers who are united in one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and remission of sins. In the book of Acts we see this, look at this. Then those who gladly received his word, there you see the one word, 
were baptized, there's one baptism, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them, that's the church. So God's word created the church. God's word actually creates the local churches, it unites you and me to other Christians. The local church is the place on the planet Earth where we demonstrate and practice word-created unity. This is the place. And here are two main reasons why we should be centered on listening to God's word in the context of a local church. And let me show this to you. The first one is for the edification of the saints. Edification of the saints. In other words, edification and spiritual growth of the saints. Look at this passage. The Hebrew writer says this. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Church, how do we stir up and encourage others when we gather? It is with God's word. It is with God's word. And this is what we see in the early church. Look at this. In the book of Acts, we see this. How the gathering to listen and be edified. And they devoted themselves to apostles' what? Teaching and fellowship. Teaching and fellowship. The word of God. So first is the edification of the saints. And the secondly, the word of God is important for the evangelism. For evangelism, the conviction and conversion of the unbelievers. Look at this passage of scripture. Paul writes to the saints in Colossae. He says, when the church dwells on the word, see what happens. Look at this. But if all prophecy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in to the church, he is convinced by all and he is convicted by all. So Paul reminds the Galatians also that they had received the gospel when Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified through preaching. So church, the word-centered church is where God, has, where God has placed an embassy among the nations to declare Jesus is the Lord. Turn to him. Jesus is the Lord. Turn to him. That is our mandate as a church. So we fail when we do not make God's word paramount in our lives and in the life of the church. So David declared, look at this, Psalm 138, how God has exalted his word above his name. Look at this. 138 verse number 2. I will worship you, David is saying, toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. Then he says, for you have magnified your word above all your name. The King James Version says, For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. This shows just the important and powerful God's word is. That's what we are seeing here. God's word abides forever is the foundation of our faith. And we know this passage. For, so then faith comes by hearing. Hearing what? The word of God. So we need the word of God even for us to have faith. Every believer knows the importance of God's word. We have the Bible and every home has got one. And some of our homes may have more than one. 
In my home, I can walk around and find easily, no exaggeration, about 30, 40 Bibles. I honestly don't know what to do with them. Because some of them have the same translation. Sadly, most Christians take it only when they are in desperate need of something to find a solution to life's problems. Have you noticed that? It's only when, the, when you are hit with a problem, you go and look for the Bible. Look for the Bible. So one day this guy felt he needed some guidance from the Bible. I'm sure some of you have heard this before. So he opened it at random and he closed his eyes and put his finger. And this is the verse that came up. Judas went out and hanged himself. So he thought, that can't be God's will for me. So he wanted to try again. He put another finger on one of the passages of Scripture, and this came. Go and do likewise. So he was still troubled about this. He said, God can't be serious. There must be some mistake. So he opened it again and put his finger one more time, and this is what he saw, John 13, 27. What you do, do quickly. Church, it can be dangerous to use the Bible in this way, isn't it? While we chuckle, it's no laughing matter when people really use the Bible improperly. Improperly. Look at the warning given to us in this passage that was chosen for us today. Let me bring it up here again. Uh, in verse number 14, you heard this being read. Remind them of these things, Paul is telling Timothy. And charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. To the ruin of the hearers. What is Paul telling Timothy here? Paul is asking Timothy to solemnly charge those under his pastoral ministry that if they misuse the Bible, it will lead to ruin. You know, church, the English word catastrophe comes from this word ruin, the Greek word ruin. So Paul means it's an ultimate spiritual ruin if you do not handle the word properly. Scary, isn't it? So in this text, you heard already being read in verse 17, we see there Paul is naming two individuals, Hymenius and Philetus, who had gone astray from the truth. We'll look at it in a minute. Upsetting the faith of some because of their misuse of the Bible, of the Scriptures. So Paul, in essence, is saying God's people, that is you and I, should use the Bible to grow in godliness. The purpose of the scriptures is to grow in godliness. Everybody said the word godliness. Godliness. So you ask, Pastor, is it possible to use the Bible to make progress in ungodliness? Is it possible? The answer, surprisingly, is yes. Yes, you can. How do I say this? Look at this. Look at the big picture here. Verse 16, Paul says this. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. That is the misuse of the Bible. That's what Paul is talking about here. The words literally mean they will make further progress in ungodliness. If we don't handle the word right. The false teachers claim that their teaching would help you move ahead in your spiritual life 
Paul is sarcastically saying here, you're right, you will make progress all right, but progress in ungodliness. That's what Paul is saying here. And within the passage of scriptures that you heard being read today, Paul actually piling up words to drive home this frightening point. Let me bring it up to you, highlight some of those things very quickly. He says in verse 14, there is no profit. This is misuse of the Bible. You will ruin of the hearers, more ungodliness, spread like cancer. Uh, the other word that you heard was gangrene. It have strayed concerning the truth, overthrow the faith of some. So the improper use of the word destroys life. Destroys life. That's the one reason, church. In the book of James, there was a serious caution that was given to the teachers especially. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. In other words, church, don't think this is only for the pastors and the teachers. If you, as a believer, if you don't handle the word properly, you will come under stricter judgment. That's what it means. Church, this warning is, is as a believer, as a pastor, as a teacher, be careful how you handle the word, you're under strict judgment. That's what Paul is telling here. So that's why Paul warns Timothy, going back to verse number 14, remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord. So let's, uh, let's dive in now. Remind them of what? So we need to go back a little bit, few more verses to see what is Paul asking Timothy to remind those who are under his uh, shepherdship. Now this is what he's saying in verse number 12. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. So what Paul is, is in essence saying that if we endure faithfully, we will reign with Christ. But if we deny him, he will deny us. So in other words, Paul is telling Timothy, maybe they heard this before, but I want you to remind them again and again and again. Remind them. So Paul wants them not to handle the word improperly. So this is a warning to all of us, church, every one of us. The word of God is a sharp sword and must be handled with proper care. So what is the crux of the text, you ask? From the text chosen today, I want to address two methods that are employed in typical churches. The improper ways of handling God's Word or the proper way of handling God's Word. Now, as I dive into the Word, I want to hold you, hold me and others accountable if you see that any of us are handling the word improperly. Because that's what we are called to do. That's what we are called to do. So may this study be an exhortation and encouragement for us as a church to handle the word of God in the most appropriate manner for the edification of the saints, that's what I said at the beginning, and the evangelism of the, the unbelievers. So Paul mentions there are three improper ways of using the Bible in this text that, was, that you heard being read today. Let me give you the first one and I'll go through this. It's found in verse number 14. He says, remind them of these things, and he says, charging them before the Lord not to strive 
about word. Not to strive about words. ESP says not to quarrel about words. So the first improper way to handle God's word is to have a knowledge without obedience. I'll explain that to you. Without obedience. This is notorious characteristic of the false teachers. The false teachers like to display their knowledge on peripheral matters and that did not lead to godliness, but only to pride over being right. I am right. I know it all. Here's the warning, church. Anytime you use the Bible to grow in knowledge apart from godliness, you are heading for spiritual trouble. Let me repeat that. Anytime you're using the Bible for head knowledge and not to grow in godliness, you are heading for trouble. You are heading for trouble. One of the most common sins Satan uses is to trip us up in spiritual pride. Puff is puffing us up with supposed knowledge, and Paul warns us, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And this verse was key to my ministry from day one. From day one. As I migrated from my secular position and started working as a pastor, I think I told you this before many times as a confession. I was a very strong-headed person, even in my, in my business world. I called the shot. I thought what I said was right. Because I knew what I was doing. But when I migrated, the first thing I asked the Lord, humble. Break me, God, so that I can only lean on you. Because knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And I pray that the next generation would take it up. It's not the knowledge. God is not going to ask you when you go to his presence, can you quote Deuteronomy? 7.13. I myself can't figure it out what it is right now. God will never ask you. The only pH test for you is whether you walked in godliness, your holiness. If you know God truly in his holiness and his majesty, it will humble you. It will humble you. Pride and a Christian cannot go together. Cannot. No matter how scholarly you are, there are things in the Bible you will never comprehend, church. You might think you know it. When you interpret, if the word is not leading you to grow in godliness, you are puffing up in knowledge. Let me repeat that. As you read, as you try to interpret the scriptures, and if it is not leading you to godliness, you are just increasing your knowledge and being puffed up. And there are things that in the scriptures that you and I will never figure out, never ever figure out on this part of the world. We cannot. Look at this. Taken from the scriptures, Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us. There are some things that are not revealed to us, that, are, that don't belong to us. We will never comprehend it. So do not try to comprehend it. 
there are things that are revealed to us belong to us and to our children so what do they do with that that they may do all the words of this law that's obedience do you understand whatever is revealed to you must lead you to obedience helping you to grow in godliness so when you study the bible always ask the question what does this teach me about god or what does this teach me about myself or how should i apply it to my life church let us be clear paul is not saying here when he says that not to strive about words it does not mean that you do not analyze the word as to find the true meaning of it because that's what the bereans did in the book of acts you can see they received the word with all readiness they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so you don't just accept it just because i am speaking from the pulpit you have to understand it paul is saying it's important to study the precise words of scripture to understand the nuance of the original language so that we interpret it properly there's a good example we find in galatians chapter 3:16 look at this now to abraham paul is writing to the church in galatia he says now to abraham and his seed were the promises made and paul is now doing an analysis here look at what paul is doing he does not say and to seeds this is a analyzing the scripture that's what paul is doing he does not say and to seeds as of many but as of one and to your seed who is Christ Paul is actually dissecting the word here as you look at this so when he uses the word not to uh the not to what's the word that I, that I showed you earlier in verse number 14 he is not telling you not to do an in-depth study he is saying that you had to you had to do your analysis you have to understand the context and get it for your own understanding so they can lead to godliness and obedience paul is saying it's important to do that church paul is not striving but clarifying the word that's what he wants us to do so what paul is saying here is that is that accuracy in handling god's truth is very crucial for us for all of us paul is not discouraging careful bible study he is saying mishandling of the word causes harm so paul is here combating those who like to get into intellectual banter over obscure points of doctrine but are not seeking to grow in obedience to god these scholars like to prove their superior intelligence by winning theological debates but the point of scriptural knowledge is not to fill our head but to change our life the use to use the bible for knowledge without application is to misuse it so that's the first improper way to use the word of god to use the knowledge without obedience so church each time you study the word of god attend a bible study or hear the word being preached from the pulpit ask yourself a question how does it apply to me how is it helping me in my growth you know one of the things that discipline that i have made for my own growth from the from since i was very little 
what behavior as a result of hearing this what behavior should i stop doing now as a result of hearing it what behavior should i continue to do as a result of hearing it what behavior should i start to do now those are good questions to ask the secondly the improper way of using it now look at this verse number 16 but shun profane and idle babblings for they will increase to more ungodliness so paul is saying the profane and idle babblings is what people think is knowledge that's what he's talking about how do i say that paul uses the same phrase in 1 timothy 6:20 look at this guard what you what was committed to your trust avoiding see what he's saying there the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called what knowledge knowledge so paul uses the same phrase here too saying the profane and idle babblings is what people think is knowledge the word profane means irreligious or unhallowed it has the nuance of navigating through in the things of god and using god and the bible for worldly gain that's what it means church this is what we see in north america today that's exactly what we are seeing in most churches most popular churches popular churches the health and wealth heresy is perhaps most blatant form of it it is using the bible for worldly success Paul gives us a warning such false teachers are always popular look at this Paul says here that their message will spread like cancer like gangrene you know you don't have to help gangrene to spread it will spread on its own because they appeal to the flesh Paul quotes two examples here Hymenius and Philetus Some of the largest churches in America and TV evangelists use bible to help people succeed in their worldly selfish goals and people are drawn to that But don't judge a church by how big it is but rather by how sound is the teaching in producing genuine godliness I want our church to be a church that is producing genuine godliness. By appealing to the flesh and to the lair of the world, these false teachers draw away after them people who are not fully submissive to the lordship of Christ and his gospel of the cross. So to use the Bible for worldly ends is the is misusing the Bible. That's the second improper way of using the word of god and the third one we find in verse 18 look at verse 18 who have strayed concerning the truth saying that the resurrection is already past and they overthrow the faith of some so basically what paul is saying here these men were not totally wrong in what they were saying but they are teaching half truth please come along with me very carefully as it were the whole truth that's what they're doing here that is the way the satan works to confuse believers they were teaching that the resurrection already had taken place they had verses from paul to back it up how often how he wrote often of the fact that christ is risen and that we are risen with him 
you know that Paul wrote that passage many times. Paul also taught, which they don't want to address, there's a future resurrection of the body, which then men denied. So these men argued that the resurrection was, or, was only spiritual and that was an accomplished fact. You may wonder what's the big deal? Why is this worth concerning about? Paul answers the question in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at this, verses 12 to, I want you to focus on verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Where he says that there is no future, if there is no future literal bodily resurrection, then Christ himself is not even raised and our faith is worthless. Church, please know this. Heresy always begins as truth out of balance. That's how heresy begins. There's always an element of truth in what these preachers are saying. This is exactly the technique that the cult teaches to that. This is how they entice people. They even quote scripture verses to back it up. So they prey on the untaught who are looking for something more in their faith. They lead people away from dependence on the living God. Church, a counterfeit always looks genuine. At the first instance, or first glance. That's why we have to examine the proper worldly teachings, cleverly cloaked in the Bible, with the Bible, that are flooding in the churches today. They promote half-truth, as if they were the truth of God. Let me show you an example. This might blow your mind off. How many of you have heard this passage? Yes? John 1.1. 1, 1. We have memorized it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's the truth. Let me show you another version of that. In the beginning was the Word. I'm sorry. Okay, in the beginning was the Word. Look at the second part of it. And the Word was with God. That's the truth. And read the next part with me. And the Word was a God. Who is saying that? Jehovah Witnesses. The moment you see, I mean, a person who is not really diving into the word can easily be confused. Because when you use the word a God, you are questioning the divinity of Jesus. Are you with me? Church, here are four tests of sound doctrine. That will help you from being taken in by false teachers. Number one is that, does it honor God? When you hear a preaching from the pulpit, ask the question, does it honor God? Did this message honor God today? Number two, because sound doctrine always lifts up God in his majesty and holiness. Number two, does it exalt Jesus as fully God and fully man? Who gave himself for our sins and was raised bodily from the dead. Number three, does it humble the proud and fallen sinners? Because sound doctrine always brings sinners to the foot of the cross. 
where they come to the end of their own pride and self. And when you hear the word of God, if the word of God is from the Lord, it will cause a contrite heart. It will break you. Number four, does it promote holiness? Does it promote holiness? Because sound teaching always, in obedience to the word of God and progress in holy living, it leads to genuine love for God and love for others. So the third improper way of how these teachers use the Bible is teach half-truth as truth. So you ask, Pastor, how to properly use the Bible? Now that we know how to improperly it's been used, how do you properly use the Bible? Look at verse 15 and 19. The number one is that I'll, I'll give you, there are four ways God is, Paul is telling that. Let me go through that very quickly with you. Number one is that there must be a proper approach to the word of God. Look at this passage. Be diligent, Paul says. Can everybody say the word diligent, please? Diligent. Paul speaks of our approach to the word is be diligent. It means be zealous about it. Be diligent. We are to give constant effort, which means be handling God's word accurately. Not just flipping pages of the Bible, like we saw the example earlier. This not only applies to those who teach the Bible, but also to all the believers who should be able to handle the word carefully. So many Christians are chaotic and lazy in their approach to God's word. They don't systematically read, study, and memorize it. If they read it at all, they jump from passage to passage, pulling out verses out of context. Like the example I gave earlier. So Paul uses the exhortation, be diligent. Everyone should be diligent. The key to being diligent in God's word is to be motivated. If you are not motivated, you will never, ever learn something. Anything, whether your studies or whether in your profession, if there is no motivation, you are not going to do anything. Motivation is the key for learning. What motivates you to read the Bible? Let me ask you. How many of you have gone in aircraft? I know most of you or all of you have flown in the flight. The moment you get into the aircraft and you are seated, then the announcement comes to put on your seatbelt and put your seat straight up. And then this lady stands in the front or it comes on the screen, goes on with what? All the safety features. Tell me honestly, how many of you paid attention to that? Zero. But there is one brother we have. Awesome. Awesome. There is one person listening to that. But honestly, I have never. For me, I tell them, I know it all. Just stop. Start the aircraft. I'm looking for time. We need to go and arrive on time. Hurry up. Let's go. Because we are not motivated to hear that boring instruction. I'm sorry. I'm using it with much respect. Okay, It's not boring. For me, it was boring. But suppose you get on the flight and halfway through the pilot comes on the intercom. Hear me out. And he says, ladies and gentlemen, we are experiencing some severe trouble with our engine. We are going to have to depressurize the cabin and make an emergency landing. The stewardess is going to explain how to use the emergency breathing apparatus. Do you think you are motivated? Do you want the captain to say, please pay attention? Absolutely not. You are motivated now. The problem, we are not motivated in the word of God because we take God so lightly. 
The same way that we are taking the instructions that are given by the stewardess so lightly, we are taking God so lightly. We don't understand the gravity of the word of God. Church, we would be motivated to be diligent in God's word if we recognize that I live in the presence of God. If you recognize that soon one day I'll give an account to him. His word alone contains his wisdom. So I have to be diligent to search out and scriptures and say about knowing God, his wisdom for living. So church, the proper way of the use of the Bible is the proper approach to the word of God. That's the first thing that Paul is saying. Are you motivated to study the word of God. Secondly, Paul is saying in verse 15 again, present yourself, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. So the second thing he says is that there must be a proper relationship, not only a proper approach, there must be a proper relationship. Let me explain this to you. The word that is used present here is the same word that is used in Ephesians 5.27. That's when you can connect and understand the meaning, please. That's what I was telling you earlier. To speak of a bride being presented to a bridegroom. Same word that is used here. So it's a very personal loving act when a young woman gives herself to a young man in marriage. In that culture, it meant that she was giving herself completely to him, her devotion, her time, her body. Her complete focus was now toward her husband because he loves her and she loves him. That is what Paul is telling here. Present yourself approved to God. That's how we should come to the Bible. It's not just a book of principles on, for how to live. It tells us Christ's enduring love for the bride. And his bride, we should seek to please him and be available to do his will as such. Our focus, church, should not be on what others think of us, but on what God thinks. Honestly, as a pastor, when I was young, it was different. Today, my only, only concern is that I want to be approved to God. I honestly do not care much about what people say. A pastor's age. At this age, my goal is to please our heavenly bridegroom who loves me and gave himself for me. So come to the Bible to deepen your love life with the Lord, to learn how you can please him. So that is the second requirement for proper use of the scriptures, that you must have a proper relationship. Thirdly, look at verse 15 again. We find in verse 15, Paul says, A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God. He, here the metaphor is that of a craftsman, isn't it? That's what they're seeing here. That's what he's using. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You are the carpenter and God's word is your set of tools. So as the craftsman, you are called to do a decent job so that you will not be ashamed when God inspects your work. If a carpenter knows that his work will be inspected by a skilled master craftsman, you'll be very careful how you do your job. You will do your very best so that your work will be approved by the master craftsman. The Bible, God's word of truth, truth is accurate, objective, and, knowledge, and knowable, not subjective and fluid. Church, I shiver when I have to prepare a message 
for I know it is infected by my heavenly father. My wife will tell you how much I struggle when I prepare a message. If a carpenter showed up at your house and he, he didn't have all the tools, how comfortable will you be to asking him to do some work in your house? If he tells you we have all different ways of doing the things, each carpenter is different, I'm sure you'll be more concerned. You may not even hire him because you want to build your house carefully and accurately according to the plans. God's word is not the sort of thing when one person can see it one way, another person can see it another way. Every biblical text is a fixed meaning that is true and never changes based on the, and stemming from that meaning. It may have different application for different people, but it has the same truth. It has the same truth. We need to use the tools of Bible study and interpretation to discover the meaning of each text in its biblical context. Church, otherwise we are being sloppy workmen and God's, with God's word of truth. We have no excuse, church. As a church, we have enough resources. We have library full of books that you can take and borrow whenever you want if you really want to study the word of God. The word of God translated, here he says, to cut a path is rightly dividing. I'm sorry, I hit the wrong button here. To, rightly, to cut a path, the rightly dividing is like a cut a path in a straight direction so the traveler may go directly to his destination. That's what it means there. The idea is not get distracted, of course, by false teaching, but accurately and straightforwardly to cut through the doctrines of the scripture so you can reach the destination of godliness. That's what word of God is. Church, Change doesn't come from feeling good or liking certain ideas that they come from scriptures. Change comes when people are confronted with God's truth and they submit their life to it. That is why, you know, even in counseling now, when people recover for counseling, I try to strengthen them in the Lord. And when you don't want to be strengthened in the Lord, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your time. And I take no apology for that. Because that is not what we are called to do. We have to strengthen people in the Lord. Especially in these last days of moral relativism, we as a church must be skillful and accurate in the way that we handle the work. So the third proper way of doing is use the proper skills. Accurately. And the finally, he uses in verse 19. Look at verse 19. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having the seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Church, in earlier verses, it's kind of scary reading about professing Christian people who have been ruined, who had gone astray from the truth, and upset their faith. We read that through. We saw Hymenius and Philetus as two examples. We may wonder, how can I, I keep on this path? How can I keep from being ruined? Paul is reminding them, Paul is actually reminding Timothy of the foundation of the Christian life. That's what you're seeing here in this passage. There's a solid foundation. The foundation refers to the two people of God, the church. 
those who truly belong to the Lord and not carried away by false teaching. There are two seals that we can say, two statements he's making that reflect two important aspects of our salvation. Number one, he says, the Lord knows who are his. Number two, he says, let everyone who names the name, sorry, everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Actually, church, these two statements, they are taken from the Old Testament. They come from the story of Korah's rebellion against Moses. This, this is what Moses, Moses told. Tomorrow morning, the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will cause him to come near to him. And then he warned the congregation to depart from the tents. In verse 26 numbers, he says, depart now from the tents of these wicked men. So these are taken from the Old Testament. Paul is using it here. And Paul's first part of it is the Lord knows who are his. So salvation does not begin with man. It begins with God. God planned and he executed it. He chose us before the foundation of the world. What does it mean to us, church? We can't know God's truth until God first laid hold of us. And because God has laid hold of you, you are saved. You are here with us this morning to go through the scriptures. If you are not, Today may be the day that you come to the Lord. The second statement is, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Because in Ephesians, we see that God chose us that we would be holy and blameless before him. That's the only reason why God chose us. That we become holy and blameless. So if we truly belong to the Lord, we'll progressively working His holiness into our daily life. Church, so the foundation for using Bible properly is that God knows us as His own. And through our diligent, careful study and application of His word of truth, we grow in holiness. So that is, that is the two topics that Paul was addressing in this passage. So in closing, I just want to quote one thing from my personal experience and close with a prayer. During my school days growing up, I was very much into elocution. My mother trained me always, preps me with rigorous practice at home. Morning and night, I had to say it in front of her before I go for competition. Being a teacher, sometimes she was present at most of my competitions. There are times I have won. There are times that I have lost. But each time I finish my oration, I do not look at the judges. I only look at my mother. There are times that the audience might have cheered me. But when my mother smiled and nodded her approval, that was the reward. I was not looking for the approval of the crowd. I was waiting for the approval of my master. Christians should be living out for God's approval, church. All of us. We will be approved unto him as we use the Bible to grow in godliness. So my prayer to our churches in 2024, that we'll grow to use the Bible for godliness for holiness. As you are growing as a craftsman, 
who uses God's word of truth accurately and skillfully to grow in godliness. Church, the misuse of the Bible will lead you to ruin. The proper use will lead you to godliness. May the Lord convict each one of us and cause us to be diligent students of the Bible.